0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show across the nation. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. I want to take just a moment of personal privilege here. Uh, And I should do this in a short segment, I realize, um, but but I am while it's on, on my brain. Today is the 11th anniversary of me starting radio. I started in 2011 at WSB Radio in Atlanta, totally by accident, totally by accident. Uh, Most of you have probably heard the story. I was a city councilman in Macon, Georgia. Some friends had started redstate.com. They put me in charge of it, and through that got hired by CNN, and in 2010, a, the local radio show host, uh, the Cumulus station, uh, WMAC in Macon, Georgia, got arrested in a crack house. Claimed he was making a rap label, building a rap label. And they needed someone to fill in. A local news director, uh, Ron, gave me a call and said, would you be willing to do this? I had never done radio, except for my friend, Kenny Bergamy. Uh, Kenny is now at uh, the farm bureau in Georgia, he had been the um he had been the morning show host for years on that station and then left. and he had allowed me to fill in one time for him the day after Christmas one year. I got one phone call in three hours. And it was an angry man upset with me. Well, not really upset with me, but with the story I had written or had read from the Wall Street Journal about the growth in fake Christmas trees and houses. And, and he thought it was an abomination that people used fake trees. Now, you should know I have a fake tree because I'm allergic to the real ones. That was the only experience I had filling it on the radio other than I had come on a couple of times to talk about law and politics in the past. I had even been a lawyer and then with Red State, but but just for segments, not not for a three-hour show. And there was a board op there. God bless him. Uh, CT was a wonderful human being. He passed away last year. But he had a speech impediment. And I did not know he had a speech impediment. And he said before the show to whatever I do, please don't put me on air. And he was in there with me. The thing you don't know about a lot of radio show hosts is they don't allow us to learn how to do the board. It's job security for the board op. I had no idea what I was doing. I have a button. I can turn on and turn off my microphone. That's about it. That's my knowledge of running a radio board. Anyway, so CT is in there, and I am into my third hour. I have had one, two phone calls, and I'm reading some story, and I say, CT, what do you think? The look of terror comes over this man's face, and he begins to stutter. stutter. Uh, st- uh, st- uh, st- uh. It was bad, and I, to this day, I feel horrible. It was an awful several minutes. Never did it again. Learned my lesson out of the gate. Don't put someone on radio who doesn't want to be there. But while I was there, uh, Cox Media Group knew Herman King was running for president, and they needed someone. The person they had intended uh, they had let go. They needed they needed someone To take over and miracle of miracles, they found me and I have now been doing radio as of today, 11 years. My first day on radio in Atlanta at WSB, it was nine to midnight. There was this ice storm that came through the city, shut the whole place down. I was coming back from an event in Kiowa Island and uh, for Red State, drove up, dropped my family off, hit the road, drove up as the ice storm was happening. uh, My car got frozen into the driveway of a hotel, couldn't get it off the ice for me to get to the studio so I had to walk about four or five blocks uh Shane Backler who's who's still with us at WSB uh helped me run the board because the board op they had assigned for me some guy uh I can't remember what was his name Ted or something uh could not be there he was snowed in and God bless Shane he got me off the ground uh he wound up having to stay mostly frozen in the office with his uh then wonderful dog Bob and I was able to finally get to a hotel but one night had to sleep on the floor at the office because I couldn't get out because the ice was so bad that's how I started in radio. And then I was having to go back up there because my show was nine to midnight and I had no connection in my house. And so I'm driving back and forth uh, every night to go to radio in Atlanta. And my my actual board op is there one night. Now, this is a guy he had been, uh, those of you in Atlanta, if you know Scott Slade, he'd apparently been with Scott for a while, uh, was retiring. They asked him if he wanted to be with me. He said, sure, for those three hours. So the very first night I meet the guy, I I, I say maybe five, ten words to him because I'm stuck in traffic. I show up late. I get to my first commercial break. And through the glass, like right now, I can fire my buttons to trigger the commercials. I, I can do that. When you hear the sounder, it's me playing it. But at the time, I was not set up for that. I had to point to the guy through the window and point to him. And that was his signal. Press the button. Send me to commercial break. So I reach out my arm and point. And all I see is just like the force of my pointing through the glass, his eyes roll in the back of his head and he begins to fall backwards. That is the last time I saw the board up. I saw him go down. I never saw him get back up and I don't know what to do. I'm stuck by myself in the studio. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. uh, Finally, the the whoever is doing the news that night comes is headed down the hall and and here I am and we don't go to commercial break or anything and they start looking and I'm waving frantically and and they get help and and they get the board up and finally I'm able to take a commercial break and that was my intro to radio and then sadly uh, Neil Bortz who was at WSB that that very next week a Royal Marshal. His uh, producer-engineer passed away, and I had to fill in for boards. Y'all, my my intro to full-time radio was a trial by fire. I'll never forget that first week, though, the ice storm. There were no phone lines. Everything had been taken out. And the pig farmer, my boss at the time, calls me one day that week. And he says, I just want you to know you've managed to do three hours of radio a night, nine to midnight, with no phone calls for a week. I think you'll do okay. I've been doing it ever since it has been the craziest thing it has been a real privilege uh and and I now to do national syndicated radio and I'm sure many of you don't care but yeah look it, it's my show I just I just let, let me let me talk about this for a minute I never intended to do this I was going to be a miserable I you know I I went to law school because I wanted to go to Washington and I was working for Saxby Chambliss at the time on his campaign the then congressman from Georgia, he became senator, and he told me that a law degree is like an MBA in politics. You go to Washington and a law degree opens all sorts of doors that otherwise don't open. In business, you get an MBA, you get doors open. In politics, you get a law degree doors open. And sure, he was absolutely right. I went to law school, had no desire to be a lawyer, just wanted the degree to go to Washington and say, here I am. I got the degree, let me in. And then I got married. My wife did not want to move to Washington, D.C. She does not like the big city. She didn't want to move to Atlanta. Didn't like the big city. It's like, all right, I'll be a lawyer. Well, I, I actually am fairly gifted at fixing computers. And local law firm needed someone to fix computers in addition to being a lawyer. And so I got to be the, the computer fixer-upper and the law clerk and got a job. And I was miserable. I hated practicing law. I am a very good transactional lawyer. I can form your corporation. I can do your uh, bonds to secure debt. I can do your property descriptions. I can I can do all the transactional stuff. I hated the courtroom, but it was a life learning experience. I had to be an indigent criminal defense attorney for five years. When I was a lawyer, started out, you were required, if you wanted to practice law in the county I was in, to do indigent criminal defense. Now, you and I can say it's against the 13th Amendment, and ultimately, they decided that was the case. But at the time, you had to do it, whether you wanted to or not. And it was the, the just some of the most awful, awful situations in society you would ever seen. And it made me, forced me to relate to a world that I didn't even know existed, a world of poverty, a world of people who really are suspicious of the police because of race and all these little things along the way, I think have made me ultimately a better talk show host. And when I first started, I thought, you know what? I got to, I just do an impression of Russell, whatever Rush Limbaugh does, you do. I was very blessed to be a friend of his tomorrow is his 71st birthday. And, Rush is the one who told me I needed to get into radio, that um, he would never speak to me again if I didn't, and I did. And along the way, being the red meat standard conservative radio show host doing what everybody else does, uh, he finally told me one day, you know what, don't do an impression of me. Be yourself because you'll never be as good as me. So just be yourself. And he meant it very, very humorously, but very seriously. Stop trying to be someone you're not. And I I guess the success is now I've moved from evening drive time in Atlanta to national syndication, noon to three in his spot. Uh, And uh, in Atlanta, where I started, the ratings are phenomenal. Number one radio show, noon to three, regardless format, news, talk, music, whatever, number one uh, radio show in Atlanta. And now nationwide, trying to grow, slowly growing, trying to get attention from people but it's been an 11-year wild ride. Now, I tell you all that, that there is a moral to the story here for you. This isn't just me talking about myself here, although it is, I admit it. God's got a plan. I had no intention of being in radio, I had none. If you had asked me in my entire life, what were you going to do, I knew I was going to go to Washington. I was going to be in politics. I was going to run campaigns. I was going to be a chief of staff in a congressional office. I was going to do something like that. I, I was Being in talk radio never in the cards for me never in the cards. And then I went to seminary I, 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 and I started actually going to seminary. And, and you know, if, if this, if the radio stuff didn't work out, I guess I'll go be a preacher or something. Uh, I've, I've been honored to to preach on Sundays in churches on occasion, and, and I love it. But this is, I think for now where I'm meant to be. And I say all of that to say, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you're listening right now, you, you may have job frustration. You may have life frustration. I know I did. And I have around, time and time again, fallen into situations I never expected to be in. You know, in 2004, when I was a lawyer, friends of mine started redstate.com. And MSNBC, before they went off the edge, came calling because there were, this was the rise of blogs. And there were all sorts of left of center blogs. They were group blogs. And they wanted uh, to bring them in. Howard Dean's former campaign manager, Joe Trippi, was at MSNBC. They wanted bloggers to cover the election. And they needed a right-of-center blogger. They had left-of-center bloggers. So they reached out and they hired me. And I went up to New York, and I covered the last week and a half of the presidential campaign. They ran it through my law firm. Uh, Everybody was happy. It was great exposure. I had a blast. My first time doing national, international television and then I never heard from him again. Fast forward to 2009 and a lady calls me. My wife and I decided it was time for her to stay home with the kids. I would have to get a second job uh, to make ends meet, uh, but it was, it was for her good, for the family's good. And just out of the blue, this woman calls me. She says, you, you don't know who I am, but I was the person who put you on MSNBC in 2004 Then I went to work for Tim Russert at Meet the Press, and now I'm at CNN, and we're doing a new show, and we would love to have voices from outside of Washington on television. Would you like a job? And wound up getting a job at CNN 2009. Two years later, I wind up falling into radio. All of it, uh, you could call it luck. I would call it providence. But 11 years ago now, and I've been doing this. This is the longest job I've ever held. And I feel very blessed because most people in radio tend to lose jobs frequently as they're getting started and over time. And I live in perpetual fear that one day that'll be my case. Um, But for now, God's got me here for reasons I don't even understand. But he's got you where you are for reasons you don't understand either. So you can trust in that. Know he's got a plan for you. Certainly has had me on a wild ride I never expected. And I did not expect to spend this much time talking about that, but there you have it. Thank you guys for sticking with me. We'll take a quick time out. I'll come back and move on to actual news. Well, presidential motorcade disrupting traffic uh, in metro Atlanta, right? Y'all, this is you are 12 hours after people left the stands in Indianapolis. They're all hungover, miserable, headed back to Atlanta, and you time your presidential visit at the exact same time people are showing back up and you tie up all the traffic. Uh, my goodness gracious. All right. To the phones, uh, Paul, I'm going to go to you first today. Welcome. Welcome Eric. We really like your show. And, uh, just to build on the incompetence of Biden and his chief of staff, just what you were talking about. Can you imagine not even thinking through visiting Georgia the day after the national collegiate football championship, that Georgia just happened to wonder who gives a rip that they're
1: coming to town. We're celebrating the dogs. Yeah,
0: you are. And and, okay. So here's the other thing. So you don't, you don't check the schedule. You don't check the schedule about the football game. Cause let's, let's be honest here. I mean, had the had the, the the game gone the other way, and you had Alabama, you you probably be uh, dodging people jumping off the connector and, and, and <laughs> into the motorcade. I, I just you, you, the, the despair and depression had they lost a second time in thirty three days to Alabama. But you come, you don't check the schedule, you don't even coordinate with Stacey Abrams, and you're doing the oh we're on the same page, we had a good conversation. Sorry, she can't be there. It's it, this does not express competence in any way, shape, or form that they know what they're doing. This is good for the Republicans, by the way. This is actually really good for the Republicans. And, and the the major bottom line point for the GOP is particularly this. Biden wants to blame Republicans for voter suppression, obstructing voter rights, and it could all be fixed if his own party would fix it, but his own party will not fix it. This is not on the GOP. It's just mind boggling that this is where we are. And, you know, listen, they they got to figure out other things to do now as well, because the COVID game is outpacing them. There are actually a number of stories out today that even among the vaccinated now, there are a growing number of vaccinated people who sound like the most vociferous anti-vaxxers in America. By the way, you know what the data shows out, And I got to correct myself on something yesterday. Uh, and this is ABC News' fault, actually. Uh, a lot of people were blaming conservatives, but ABC News actually edited out the interview. Rochelle Lewinsky, the CDC director, said 75% of people who die of COVID died with four, quote, comorbidities. No one just dies of COVID. They die with COVID and four more comorbidities. ABC News actually edited that to make it sound that way. What she was actually talking about is among the vaccinated. Among the unvaccinated, it is more common to die even without comorbidities, particularly the older you get. Younger people tends to take a lot of comorbidities. Older people, nothing. With the vaccinated, no one has died who has taken the vaccine without four comorbidities. So COVID plus four things, old age, cancer, diabetes, obesity, you got to have four things. They completely edited that out, and it went viral yesterday that um, 75% of people who take the vaccine um, deaths um, have, have, or no, 75% of the people who die have, have four comorbidities. And that was viewed as, well, if there's no difference in the unvaccinated and the vaccinated, what's the difference in taking the vaccine? But actually, it's you're unvaccinated, according to the CDC, according to what she actually said in the actual interview, if you're unvaccinated, the older you get, the more likely you are to die without comorbidities other than old age. But if you're vaccinated, no one who has died of COVID has died without four comorbidities. That actually means the vaccine is doing really well. That actually does mean the vaccine is doing good. But here's the problem. This is not a conservative issue. Conservatives did not edit or mischaracterize Rochelle Walensky. A lot of people are blaming conservatives, but it wasn't conservatives. It was ABC News who edited it and made it more sensational. Made it more sensational. That's kind of a big deal that they did this. Uh, And will they be held accountable? They've apologized and they've released the full audio. And it's very clear she said what she said, and that they did mischaracterize it. But it went viral. It blew up all over the Internet, kind of like Politico saying Sonia Sotomayor was eating dinner with the Democrats after that mandate argument, when in fact it was uh, Chuck Schumer's wife. You get that out there on the Internet, you can't pull it back. Being first, not accurate, is becoming more and more of a danger out there in America. When we come back, I want to talk about football, but not last night's game. Something else, please stick with me. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson. Uh, Moving back into all the stuff I was going to talk about until I decided to be selfish and talk about myself. Uh, um, the phone number here, if you'd like to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425. For some reason, I- I'm going to give you a statement of fact and it is a statement. It really actually genuinely is a statement of fact. It is a true statement. By any measure of what truth and fact are, it is truthful, it is factual, and yet it is highly, deeply, enragingly controversial to say what I'm about to say. Colin Kaepernick was not a great quarterback. He was a mid-tier, mildly mediocre quarterback. That's just the truth. His record compared to others at the same time he was in the league, he was not at the top of the league. You would be excused for thinking otherwise given the celebrity and fandom over Colin Kaepernick, who first began taking a knee and he revised his statements over time. First, it was really an anti-police statement and then it became about injustice in America. And he swept things through the National Football League getting others to take knees at other sports. And it became actually to the point where, like, for example, in women's, American women's soccer, the players who were not taking knees were getting harassed for not being woke enough. It coincided at a moment where liberals were frustrated with Donald Trump as president and frustrated with lack of progress on issues they cared about. You had the first black president of the United States, and he did not advance progressively enough for them, and they were furious. And it became a thing. And then the NBA got into it and pushed it even further. The NBA got into it. The NBA got even more woke than the National Football League. And then it got to a point of hypocrisy, With the NBA, where they refused to say anything in defense of China, uh, Chinese citizens and and Hong Kong dissidents, because they wanted to protect their money with China. And now, with the exception of Major League Baseball's nonsensical decision to move the All-Star game out of Atlanta because of uh, Georgia passing election reform, and Stacey Abrams, you will recall urged a boycott, and then when it actually happened, USA Today allowed her to revise her op-ed and say, I wasn't really asking for an actual boycott, just in spirit, a boycott. And that will probably cost her the 2022 election in Georgia, that alone. But I bring all of this up, starting with Colin Kaepernick, who is, is Nike is continuing to lecture all of us on human rights and using him as the person who lectures us while refusing to do anything to deal with the Chinese situation, refusing to do anything for human rights in China. The hypocrisy knows no bounds, but I bring it all up because over this past year, whether it is major league baseball or the NFL or now college football, the lack of politics has been refreshing. You can't always escape it. On the helmets of football teams, now a lot of the, the players have Black Lives Matters or other other causes they put on the backs of their helmets and things like that. But by and large, overwhelmingly, after, after a year or so of politics, invading and becoming pervasive within sports, and by the way, driving down ratings, on TV viewership and the like. Suddenly, we're back to nonpartisan football. Now, let's not kid ourselves. A lot of this has to do with Joe Biden won the presidency, and should a Republican win in 2024 or the Republicans win this year, it may be back next year, but there's the problem with that. If the politics comes roaring back because the Republicans win, it becomes even more discrediting to their causes. Because then it really is a partisan thing. It's not a, it's not a cause. It's a partisanship thing. And it's very easy for people these days to conflate partisanship and causes that I, I believe in voting rights. Therefore, I must be a Democrat, some sort of thing. But it's also very, very easy for the public at large and the fans to realize, oh, you're a hypocrite. You only care about these issues when people I like get elected. And it causes more problems. For this year, in politics... This nation has been really divided. In the last number of years, we have been more and more and more and more divided. It's just true. We have. You know it. Sports has been one of the few things this year that has reconnected people together. Last year, even sports was divisive. Last year, the year before in particular, highly divisive, highly divisive. But suddenly, everybody is on the same page. It was remarkable last night. I, I have some friends. They were not at my house, but I have friends. Uh, a, a very hardcore committed conservative was with his friend who is a hardcore progressive. The the I, I thought it was funny. I had two friends I saw on social media who uh, went to college together. One of them is a uh, preacher, and the other one is a gay rights activist. and They've known each other forever, and they were together out of state, watching the game together, finding common ground in football. And I got to tell you, I like that. I I like people being able to return to find some level of common ground and the unity when it comes to sports. People are way more engaged with football this year than they were in the last couple of years. But now there's something else too. There's other data out. And it's a, a what is it? It's a Pew survey. Do you know that uh, 30% of progressives, 30% of self described progressives believe that voices they oppose should be silenced? 30%. Almost a third of progressives believe that voices they oppose should be silent. In reality, in reality, about uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, now I'm, I'm getting all my numbers crossed here. The, the, 30% of progressives believe voices should be silenced. 60% of Republicans, 60% of Republicans, almost two-thirds of Republicans, believe that disproportionately Democrats and progressives want to silence voices. So the reality is only about a third of progressives want to shut people down they disagree with, but Republicans think it's like 80 to 90% of progressives want to do this. Uh, on the same side... Uh, 20% of Republicans, 20% of Republicans or conservatives want to shut down voices they disagree with. Progressives think it's about 80% of Republicans. Now here's the catch. This is a survey of online people. Progressives think Republicans are more censorious than they are. Republicans think progressives are more censorious than they are. The longer you stay online, the more those divisions fire up and keep up. The longer you're online, the longer you're engaged online, the more you have a hardened heart towards the political opposition. And, you know, if you only see people online and what they do, I can kind of get it. I kind of understand that. I, I was involved in a situation last night where um, someone I know, I have known for a long time, who I like, uh, is, is off of social media, not by choice. And I mentioned I thought it was unfortunate. And another person I know and think very highly of, who I disagree with politically, reached out to me and said, do you know what your friend did to me? This guy's daughter died. Toddler died. And the other person spent three days laughing about it. Social media poisons people. And I'm guilty as well. I'm not throwing stones here except at myself. I totally understand how social media corrupts people. I totally understand how social media can make you perform in terrible ways to get attention or to get the affirmation of a crowd. And I think it's very interesting that the longer someone stays on social media, the worse they have an opinion of the other side. Now, you go out into the real world. You, you, go, you go outside. You talk to your neighbor. You, you, you're talking about the weather. You're talking about the neighborhood. My gosh, in my neighborhood, we are talking about a uh, trash pickup that finally happened after weeks of it not happening. And I, 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 I'm really kind of amazed at how people in general in society, as they get to know each other, they don't really talk about politics that much. Now, when you're in your tribe, when you're in your circle of friends, you might, but by and large, people are nice to each other. People are civil. You go on social media, you think the country's about to, to break apart and we're in the midst of a civil war. And, you know, the people online believe this. More and more data is coming out how people believe that this nation is on the verge of a civil war. And the common thread through it all is that these are people who are deeply online people. They say the devil is the lord of the air. Well, you can kind of get this through social media. You can kind of see this. In real world, in real society, in your neighborhood... More more unlikely than not, you don't really care that your next door neighbor may be there. It may annoy you when they have the Biden Harris sign in their yard. But if you get to know your neighbor, you realize, yeah, okay, I think he's an idiot when it comes to politics, but he's not a bad guy. He's a good person. He'll take care of my house when I'm out of town. I'll take care of his house when he's out of town. It really is just just a, a crazy divide that we have because of people on social media, and, and you saw this for a while as those online activists poured their hearts and soul into Colin Kaepernick's cause or against it in football, and radicalized people and turned football into some sort of political messaging that then spilled over in other sports, and now something's caught again. And, yes, I admit, again, a lot of it is that their side won the election with Biden, whether you think he won or not. He's president now. And it calmed them all down. And when he loses, when the Republicans come back, it'll fire them all back up. But for this moment in time, this brief moment in time, we should savor the fact that politics kind of got out of a lot of sports by and large. It's not as in your face. It's still there. It's not as in your face. But what I think is more important here. Is that a lot of people, the longer they stay online, the more political they become. The more they have hard hearts towards people who disagree with them. And the less likely they are to truly know what their opponents, their political opponents think. They're more likely to think of them as enemies, not opponents. And when you get out of the real world, you get out into America, you actually start meeting people. You realize they got different problems. They they actually have different problems. Uh, Americans are not worried about fighting another civil war right now. They're worried about getting bread at the grocery store. They're worried about filling up their car. They're worried about their kids' education. They're not worried about the stuff people on social media get really fired up about. They just don't care. And the moral of the story here, honestly, is get off social media more. Now, I use it. And You know, it's one of those damnably frustrating things for me. As I'm trying to grow a syndicated show, and, and you know, even as I write books and go to book publishers, they want to know, how many people do you have? How, how, how many book sales? Uh, how many how many followers do you have? Uh, how off? What's your engagement? What's your reach on social media? Twitter is a hellhole that sucks your soul we would all be better off getting as far away from it as possible. Some of us can't. Those who can should. Because as our society more and more resembles social media, we get things like Colin Kaepernick and politicized sports. But as people get away, as people calm down, as people step aside, as people breathe and learn who their neighbor actually is, right, not, their, not their online neighbor, their actual real-world neighbor, that guy you sometimes hear in his backyard... You tend to hate people less. And maybe we should be doing that more and more. Love your neighbor, scripture says. You actually got to meet them. So then you find out you don't really want to love them, but you still have to. But you got to meet them first. And that would be a good thing if we did. I mean, seriously, I know it's a wild idea, but maybe we should all like go knock on the door and meet our next door neighbor and realize, oh, it's not the boogeyman. <laughs> they just happen to have Paris Biden signed in their front yard. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson show across the nation, Joe Biden tying up traffic in Atlanta as he campaigns. He's on the ground of my flagship station is WSB in Atlanta. They were preempting my little patting myself on the back party for traffic, which they had to do because it's a disaster. It is genuinely a disaster. Uh, And uh, Democrats all over are avoiding the president. They asked about this at the White House press briefing. If if the
1: president's uh, poll numbers are where they at, et cetera, uh, that that will not want to be seen on the campaign trail with him, What is the president's uh, feeling about that, and and how would he approach that situation? I think we're talking about a hypothetical that doesn't yet exist. I mean, I would say that the vast majority of uh, members uh, who may face challenging races are people who have advocated for the president's agenda, whether it's the bipartisan infrastructure bill or his commitment to lowering costs for Americans across the country. So not going to speculate on politics, but also I haven't seen evidence of that at this point in time. You
0: you haven't seen evidence of that at times – a hypothetical that doesn't exist literally democrats are avoiding being on the campaign trail today that was by the way a board of board air force 1 but wait but wait there's more this also audio coming out of air force 1 as they as they're headed to georgia this is not the message they told us would happen
1: there is additional data that is coming out tomorrow and uh, we certainly anticipate um Forecasters generally expect elevated inflation tomorrow, especially for the year-over-year measure, which includes high inflation from nearly a year ago when the economy was reopening. This in part reflects the fact that we continue to see consumer price increases for used cars.
0: huh. So we're going to see elevated inflation for some time. I thought it was transitory. I thought it was transitory. Really? He thought it was transitory. White House thought it was transitory. Joe Biden thought it was transitory. The Democrats were saying it was transitory, and now along comes uh, the Federal Reserve saying, "Yeah, it wasn't really transitory." Uh my gosh! Oh wait, what is this? Hang on a second. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Yes, look, it, it's it's not just me. It's not just me. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh 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 huh. Yes. Yeah, Joe Scarborough got a clue on this one. Joe Scarborough, morning, Joe. By the way, I so much disagree with so much of of Joe these days on politics, but I've known him forever, and I really like the guy, and and I try not to criticize him. Uh, I don't like to criticize people. I like to criticize ideas these days. I used to be a bomb thrower like that, but it turns out that some of these people are actually very nice people even if I disagree with them. But nonetheless, this is him talking about Abrams it's not just me see I told y'all it wasn't a political point Joe gets this
1: my analysis though <laughs> though uh, worldly uh, weary while giving it uh Jonathan Lemire is not about Stacey Abrams I'm not criticizing Stacey Abrams here I am making a comment about the political standing of Joe Biden as seen from a woman who's running for governor of Georgia and wants to win that election I'm not I mean politicians Show up with presidents when they have 52% approval ratings. Politicians don't show up with presidents when their approval ratings may be in the 30s in a state where they or want to be elected governor. Reason. Or there's another reason. you get the tires rotated and right now in the middle of COVID, oh. that's kind of hard. I mean, I just don't know. I would say this about like whatever. This is this is politics 101. I find it fascinating and it speaks less to Stacey Abrams, it really does, than it does... When she perceives Joe Biden's political standing to be in the state of Georgia right now, that she's not showing up in an event that was custom made for her. Yes,
0: yes, yes, Joe gets it. It really was an event custom made for her and she's not going to be there. This has everything to do with Joe Biden's unpopularity in the state of Georgia. You do not put albatrosses around your neck and walk around in downtown Atlanta. That's essentially what she would be doing if she were there with Joe Biden. The fact that the Democrats staged this event and it is collapsing around them as it happens is nuts to me. This is political malpractice. You know what else is? Fauci and Walensky of the Capitol Hill today. Wait till you hear this audio. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business,